Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Midnight Ride. My name is David Carrico, and once again, we're going to be taking you into the midnight hour and as my very special guest this evening is Mr. John Pounders. John, how's it going? It's going good, man. I'm excited to be doing this show. Um, I know last week we had a little bit of technical issues, and and this week it's something we've both been studying on. It's kind of our research has kind of led us in this direction, and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, did you tell them what the show is called or what it's about? It's pretty I have not introduced it. You right. can uh, introduce the show if you'd like there, John. All right, so we're going to be talking tonight about the 10 bloodlines of the Satanic Kings. We're going to be talking about it in Bible prophecy and in history and literature. And so this is going to be an interesting show. Like I said, me and, my, me and David have both kind of been going through uh, this research, um, you know, separately um, and also just really studying this stuff out because there's so much going on right now with people turning to Gnosticism. Uh, with people going to the mystery religions, and we have a overwhelming popularity with these things in popular culture right now. And so this is something that's very important. I watched a documentary last night on Netflix, and it was about, uh, I, I want to say it was called Patient 17, a Facebook friend of mine, somebody I know uh, on, from Facebook, actually made the movie on Netflix. And there's a guy in there that um, he's convinced that he's been an abductee and he's also has uh what they would classify as a as a microchip in his leg and the doctor uh one of the famous doctors that actually takes those things out took it out and they tested it and it seemed to be you know something out of this world but he's made a comment on there that really that really um when i look at it when i hear heard the comment it really made me realize what we do is actually important because he said that if this is if this chip is something from you know, that I'm not, that most people don't know about. He said, if this stuff is true, he's like, I'm a Christian. He's like, I can't believe be a Christian anymore. If this happened, you know, because this doesn't make sense with my faith. And so the way, what I love about what we do is we show you how it does make sense. And in fact, it's the only way it makes sense. And the only way it makes sense through a biblical viewpoint and through the eyes of a righteous creator. So uh, I'm excited about this show, uh, just like all the shows that we do, David. So yeah, I am too. And you might say we have been doing our research together alone. And right. it's it's taken us there because this is where it's at. Uh, there's hardly anyone, if you would ask the average person, if they really believe the people that we see that are the kings and the presidents, if they're the real power, most people understand that the real power you do not see. It's the unseen hand that's guiding the governments of the world. And this is indeed what Scripture says in uh, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received uh, power 
as kings one hour with the beast. And these 10 kings, which is what we're going to be talking tonight, the 10 bloodlines, you, you, all the way back to Atlantis, there was the 10 kings of Atlantis. There's the 10 uh, toes and the 10 horns that are symbolically portrayed in the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation. These 10 bloodlines, in the understanding of these, we understand the thrust of the historical plan of Satan through the ages and how it's culminating right now. And we're going to Tonight, I believe we're going to get a glimpse into some things that we're going to see perhaps a little better than we've ever seen before. And uh, sorting out this, it's really a rabbit hole. And uh, there's so many twists and turns to it. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe that we're going to really see some things tonight that are going to be absolutely amazing. I agree, man. And just to kind of give people a history on some of this stuff, because when we talk, what, what we're talking about here in popular culture and what people are going to know this as, they're going to be talking about the Holy Grail. We're going to be talking about this grail, these grail kings, um, ring lords, okay? And so the, the way that ring lords, uh, realm of the ring lords, and, and also the grail kings kind of tie together, I think is important to kind of realize this. So um, a lot of the movies that we have, nowadays okay we see these movies especially kids movies uh disney movies uh fairy tale movies um we have fairies we have vampires we have elves and other so-called mythical creatures dragons you know and all of these have a historic root in uh grail genealogy and ring lore all of these have a very strong root in that because all of these families each represent a different one of these creatures we have the fairy fairy kings and we are you know we have the the elf kings we have the vampire kings which genghis khan was the first vampire king we have um you know dragon kings and queens we have all, dragon princesses we have all these uh different um genealogies and and we're not talking about just any genealogies we'll get into what we're genealogies we're talking about here because uh this is not something me and david just got together on the weekend and put together this was uh a man that uh his name is Lawrence Gardner that put these together, but he was uh, a antiquities director in, in parts of the world. He's a 33rd degree Freemason, very respected, uh, dedicated, and a very, um, I don't know how many books he published, six or seven of them, some of the most popular books on these subjects and did his homework and really uh, went through and did these things. And of course, we, when we look at this stuff, we look at it from uh, a different perspective than they look at it. Okay. So, a lot of these stories that you're here, they are rooted in truth and they have a truth behind them. Okay. But we have different perspectives, kind of like, you know, I'm looking at David from this angle and somebody else may be looking at David from another angle. And we have another angle from what we believe is what the, what these people look at it. And so, um, when we talk about the one ring ring to rule them all that they talk about in, in the Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings, uh, for instance, I know, uh, we've talked about this before the, the roots of, of token, uh, you know, her roots as an occultist, her roots as a, obviously a highly decorated uh, person in this, an adept in this stuff. Um, this is what we're talking about. And um, many think that the Holy Grail is something that just kind of shows up after Jesus. But the fact is that uh, it's been around for five thousands of years, this grail. Uh, and, and of course, that's what we're led to, to believe, I guess, when you watch these movies like Da Vinci Code and you watch these movies like, um, uh, what was it, Indiana Jones and the search for the Holy Grail and all these different things. We kind of have this understanding that this is talking about only a bloodline from Jesus, but in all reality, it's been going back. In ancient Sumer 
and Scythian history, uh, the grill and the ring bloodlines, they're represented by a circle. And a lot of you guys have seen this before, but there's a circle with a cross on the top or the bottom. And uh, the one on the top represents the masculine and the one on the bottom represents the feminine uh, with the cross on the bottom. And the one cross in the middle actually represents the grill itself. So the grill king itself, whoever this, what they call uh, anointed one is on at the end of this thing. And so uh, these symbols are the longest standing marks of sovereignty. Um, and I, and uh, you know, I've often thought maybe it's the mark of Cain, but I mean, that's something else to get into, but all 10 bloodlines uh, can be traced to a certain date. Uh, but eventually most of their uh, traces, um, at least from what we can see in this, they they go to Wales. OK, so they go to where, where we would have our queen, king of England, all these different things. Uh, and according to the 33rd degree Freemason, uh, Lawrence Gardner, the Grill Kings were usurped by papal kings after the first century. And they have no longer have kingdoms and they that they claim ownership to is which is where David was talking about these kings without a kingdom that it talks about in Revelation. And uh, in the Middle Ages, almost no Grail kings had power except for Robert the Bruce in Scotland, who caused the whole land of Scotland to be excommunicated. And uh, the pal papal system actually held so much power, money, and influence that the Grail bloodlines had to go into hiding uh, for thousands of years, really until kind of the United States kind of is the thing that kind of brought it up. When you see these Freemason free and accepted signs on every city, this is their, this is their badge of honor. They're like, we're free and accepted here. This is our place right here. Uh, whereas the rest of the world rooted them out um, pretty much, you know, for a long time now, obviously it's become more popular, but uh, in ancient Atlantis, there were 10 Kings. And the goal of these bloodlines is kind of to take control once again. And um, Sir Francis Bacon, uh, he wrote a book called the new Atlantis in which he kind of describes a vision of the future of human discovery and knowledge. And uh, it's supposed to be a nation full of adepts, people going through the pure sciences and uh, the United States of America is actually the planning ground and implement implementation of this new Atlantis, according to Freemason literature. So I, I just wanted to kind of give a, a little intro and history about what we're going to be talking in tonight. Uh, David's done a lot of good research on this. So, David, what else can you have to add to that to kind of get people understand what we're talking about here? Well, one of the things we're going to be talking about tonight is uh, the seed of Edom and the Edomite blood. This is something we've talked about on now you see tv and i've done an in-depth teaching on fojc youtube about the seed of edom and how it is indeed nephilim blood and how that the nephilim blood came into the line of esau and ishmael in the natural seed of abraham whom the luciferians portray to be the real bloodline instead of the bloodline of promise and in the early church there was a heresy called the Ebionite heresy, and they held to the female Ruach, and they held to the teaching that Jesus was just a man. And this is basically the doctrine of what we would call the Rex Deus bloodlines, is the term that Gary Wayne would give to it. And this would be the uh, church that Lawrence Gardner would see as the good guys. And this would be the so-called false church that modern uh, Gnostics and Kabbalists would see as the real good guys. We're the bad guys and they're the good guys. And we're going to be talking about the Despacini. And there's a way, and also on FOJC YouTube, I've got an in-depth teaching on the Despacini where I really unpack the intricacies of it historically. And there's a legitimate Despacini and there's an illegitimate Despacini. And the, the term Despacini means the family 
of Jesus. And in the early church, James was the half-brother of our Lord who wrote the epistle of James. Jude, who wrote the epistle of Jude, was also our Lord's half-brother. And in the early church, it was James who was the half-brother of Jesus that was the head of the early church. We see this in Acts 15 in the Apostolic Council. And after the death of James, Simon of Jerusalem was the cousin of Jesus, and he was uh, the son of Cleopas. And he was a very prominent figure in the first century church in Jerusalem. And it was during his leadership that the church fled to Pella in the first century. But after that, there are no real notable figures of the family of Jesus that were prominent in the real, true remnant church. Now, what Mr. Gardner does, and this is the Luciferian position, this is the basic idea behind the Da Vinci Code, and back in the 80s, there was a trilogy, uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail by Bajent Lee and Lincoln, and they put out a trilogy of books that formed the basis for the understanding of the Da Vinci Code. And basically what they say is this, is that Jesus did not die on the cross and that he married Mary Magdalene and that they had children. And believe it or not, they call uh, their child Jesus Jr. And oh, <laughs> just stop, you know, my goodness. But according to them, Jesus Jr. went to England and was initiated into the Druids and all this and all that. And Mary Magdalene went to France and the whole big story. But according to Mr. Gardner, the offspring of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, this is the elfin bloodline right. that became the Albigensians. And this was the reason, according to them, for the Albigensian crusade. And there, and I, I just want to make this real clear. Jesus did not Mary, Mary Magdalene, Jesus and Mary Magdalene did not have children. Jesus did die on the cross. And this is how we beat this nonsense is through faith in the cross. This is what separates the true Jesus from another Jesus, the real Holy Spirit from another Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to be unpacking. And this is in reality, Nephilim blood mm -hmm. and a little bit what I'll be doing in uh, before this broadcast is over, hopefully, is showing how this Edomite blood through the seed of Edom, it come down through this counterfeit Despacini. And we're going to see how this came down as the bloodlines of Satan and how it's affecting us right now. We're going to see some amazing connections. And this is the real power that is going on today. It's not in the people we see on the news, but these are the kings without a kingdom, and they're going to reign one hour with the beast, and I believe that their hour is very near at hand. Yeah, and, and see, this the important thing to consider in this whole thing, too, in my in my opinion, is the fact that um, when, when you hear the Holy Grail most of the time, you really only think of that Rex Duas bloodline or that, uh, that bloodline that you're speaking of from there because so they have their own kind of grail literature not necessarily grail literature but their their grail bloodline and you focus on that but really all these uh these kings that we're talking about here these kingships these bloodlines are worldwide we're talking asian we're talking um african we're talking all these different things and uh you know you can really kind of go off on a, on a big rabbit trail with this stuff because i tell you what like i was looking into different 
uh, names. And, I, you know, I, I came across the Malcolms, right? And you see Malcolm the first, Malcolm the second, Malcolm the third, and you keep seeing all these different lineages, and then it stops all of a sudden. And I've, I got to thinking, I'm like, who are these guys? What was Malcolm X really? Maybe Malcolm the tenth rather than Malcolm X, and and it's very possible after doing a little bit of research that that's could be the the case. But you have these these people just keep popping up all over all over the place. And the, the important thing to know, like David said, Lawrence Gardner, which is the author of a lot of these books, where you're going to find these genealogies. He's probably ahead of anybody else on these things there's many things that he believes that contradict the bible but he doesn't necessarily believe he contradicts the bible to him he would say he's a believer he would say you know i'm 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 a probably a gnostic believer but he's a believer and a lot of these genealogies don't line up with scripture such as uh you know at, at the very beginning they have you know adam being a descendant of uh what inky is is that the god that they have adam being a descendant of uh, like an actual child of that then they have um, Tubal Cain being the father of Japheth and and uh, and Ham, and so we have uh, we have Mary Magdalene listed as a dragon queen. We have Eve as a dragon princess. We have you know we have all kinds of things that contradict the Bible. Also, these ideas of wizardry and stuff that you know to them this is good. Wizardry is great, and to be a Mer- uh, they even have like a Merlin bloodline to be a Magi Merlin bloodline to them that's great. But in the Scripture, which they clearly say is the truth according to them. It clearly Yahweh says it's an abomination. So we have we have clear discrepancies in this, and really, you know, we're looking at it from our point of view. But when we have these bloodlines that kind of mesh together, there's definitely something to look at here and consider uh, with with what we have going on here in America and a lot of the Bible prophecy that we that we can go. But I'll I'll leave it over to you, David. I just want to let people know why it's important to even understand any of this stuff because we do know that there is a big deception coming. It'll be easy for people to um, bow before a king that they see. Wow, this guy's got lineage from every. He's got lineage from the Messiah. He's got lineage, lineage, lineage. He's got lineage from um, Muhammad. He's got, or you know, Ishmael. He's got lineage from Abraham. Uh, this guy's got supernatural powers. This guy must be uh, the Messiah. You know what I mean? So there's going to be this um, this ongoing um, thing that we've been kind of programmed. For our whole life through architecture just ancient even ancient architecture you see it all in that you see it all in our tv shows etc so um anyways go on david i didn't want to cut you off there I, oh I, no you're you're just fine brother john and i'll read the uh pedigree of lawrence gardner and uh this will help you understand how we analyze this material and it says lawrence gardner a fellow of the Society of Antiquaries of Scotland is an internationally known sovereign genealogist and historical lecturer. And I call Lawrence, Lawrence Gardner Ancestry.com for Lucifer. Distinguished <laughs> as the Chevalier Laha Brain de Saint Germain, he is presidential attache to the European Council of Princes, a constitutional advisory body established in 1946. He is also prior of the Sacred Kindred of St. Columbia, a Knight Templar of St. Anthony, and attache to the Grand Protectorate of the Imperial Dragon Court. And I don't trust anybody that belongs to the Imperial Dragon Court. Nobody. Um, it says of Hungary in 1408, formally attached to the noble order of the Guard of St. Germain, founded by King James VII of Scots in 1692 and ratified by King Louis XIV of France, he is appointed Jacobite Histographiker Royale. And I reckon so. And what this means um, 
in the early 1800s, Napoleon sacked the Vatican and Napoleon brought hundreds of cases of books out of the Vatican, the elite of the elite of the occult books that were confiscated uh, during the Inquisition. And he brought these to Paris. And there were two men, uh, Eliphas Levi, who many know of as the the drawer and the originator of the Baphomet and Charles Nadier, who was the head of the Priory of Sion. And these two men cataloged these books and they found their ways into the elite Masonic libraries in Europe. And the pedigree that we just saw from Mr. Gardner means that he has access to material that few people on earth have. And what we get from Mr. Gardner is the Luciferian point of view. But when we understand the breakdown of these genealogies and bloodlines, the reason why Mr. Gardner has been allowed to publish this material is for the consumption of the people that are actually in these bloodlines. And the people, they actually believe that they're so far along with this thing that they can come out of the closet, so to speak, and they don't have to hide because they're not threatened by the church. The church has give up. They're not a threat, and they don't have to veil what they're doing. So this material is here and we can examine this material and we can figure out the schemes of the evil one. The Bible says to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And by doing this, we can see some really insightful things in the plan of Satan. And just like uh, you titled the show, uh, the way that these bloodlines affect Bible prophecy. Right on, right on. And so I want to, I want to read uh, scripture real quick so we can kind of, you know, you've got some interesting stuff to get into, but I want to kind of show people that aren't familiar with what we're talking about in scripture about these 10 Kings so that we Absolutely. can, and I know you, if you can pull up the one in Daniel, I'll do the one in revelation. And, and that way we can kind of go off okay. this because I think Very this good. is important to understand uh, before we get too far into this, how, uh, these things actually m make sense together because uh, I'm looking to see. Okay, so in Revelation chapter 17, and I'm going to screen share this. Just let me find the KJV version. Um, I do prefer King James version, and no, I'm not a KJV only hothead or anything along those lines. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put it up here anyway. So here we go. I do like the Sefer as well, which I don't have my Sefer with me uh so that doesn't help I'll, I'll be glad one day when uh like biblegateway.com actually has like a separate version in there you can kind of cross-reference on there that'd be kind of cool uh but they don't yet so anyways i'm screen sharing hopefully here and so um and you most of you guys have seen kind of some of our work on on revelation 17 18 mystery babylon how we talked about those different things um and one of the reasons that we even you know i'm even studying this and at least you know for, for instance, is because I feel like I figured out the the identity of Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So I feel like I figured that out to a certain extent. If you haven't seen this, the shows that we've done on that, I you know go back to them and check them out. But so we have um, we have this this scripture here that um, really kind of ties in with the mother of harlots. So and and. And so we're talking in verse three in chapter 17, he says, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. So we see the 10 horns there and, um, and we go on and, and he tells, 
he, you know, John is getting told what this, what these things are. And so he said in the 10 horns, which thou sawest are 10 Kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as Kings one hour with the beast. And uh, they shall have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And they that are with them are called the chosen and faithful. So it talks about these 10 Kings. They don't have kingdoms, but they're definitely Kings. They're not just kingdoms, but they don't have their kingdoms yet, uh, but they will receive it with the beast. And and at the beginning of this chapter, we see that uh, the one that is actually giving power to the beast and to these horns is actually Satan himself giving him these power. And these 10 horns actually hate, this whore that's riding on their back, they hate it and they, they devour it. It says they devour it and burn it with fire. They devour this whore. So we see, uh, as I read earlier, talked a little bit about the, the kind of battle back and forth that, that the papal, uh, kingships have had with the, um, with these 10 Kings here. We see this throughout history. They're constantly being thrown in and thrown out. I believe that's what we're looking at here. And I believe obviously the Catholic church is just a continuation of the Kabbalah, mystery religions uh, that started out in Babylon and, and Jerusalem. So uh, that's the verse in Revelation. David, I know you've got another one uh, there as well. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 19. And there are four beasts in Daniel chapter 7. And the fourth beast, according to Daniel the prophet, will be in power at the time when Yeshua returns. And in Daniel 7, beginning in verse 19, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and the nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns, which were in his head and of the other, which came up and before whom three, three fell even of that horn, which had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld the same horn made, and I beheld, excuse me, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the most high. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So this will be going on at the time when our Lord returns, the the ten hole, ten toes, the ten horns, and the ten kings without a kingdom, this is the power base behind everything that Satan is seeking to accomplish. And we have to understand that these are evil bloodlines, and they fight with one another for power, just like in England, the Stuarts and the Hanovers. Um, in 1688, in the Whig Rebellion, the Stuarts were run out of England by the Hanovers, and the Stuarts went to France with uh, Louis XIV, and Grand Orient Freemasonry was formed, which was at war with Grand Lodge British Freemasonry. And you can't understand the European history in the 18th and 19th centuries without understanding the war between British and French Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. And then because England was Catholic before the Stuarts came to the throne, the Jesuits were the natural ally of the Stuarts that had been exiled to France. So then we see Oriental Grand Orient Freemasonry aligned with the Jesuits fighting 
Grand Lodge Freemasonry, and it goes on and on. And then something I just learned this week that I shared with you that blowed my mind, that it was the natural thing to do. When America broke away from England, they offered George Washington to be king of America, and he refused. And after Washington refused, they went to Italy, and they approached uh, Charles of the Stuart dynasty to be king of America. And they actually offered for him to be king of America of the Stuart dynasty. And the reason why they wanted the Stuarts to be the kings of America is because the Stuarts hated the British. They were exiled in France. And it's a, it's a mass of understanding the way that these bloodlines intersect with secret societies. And this is the 10 kings without a kingdom. And when we can begin to connect a few of these dots, what we see going on, and it makes a lot more sense. And the talking heads that we see, they're just that. They're talking heads. To really get at what go on, goes on, we need to look at these 10 kings without a kingdom because they're getting ready to have their hour with the beast. The time is at hand. Exactly. Um, time is at hand. And I think in when getting back to the idea of America, you know, when you look at America and we see this, you see that it was clearly founded by, uh, you know, this was something thought of before they came here. They they picked a specific date for the reason, the 1776 date they picked. There, you know, there's a reason they picked this date. There's a reason that they did the stuff that they did. And of course, we, we believe that at one time there were Christians that were over here, you know, before 1700s uh, that were, you know, Puritans and, and such that really did care about uh, serving the king. But then you see you know, when you read the the books like New Atlantis and you read books like that, you realize that there was a bigger plan kind of at play. And I think that America, in my opinion, this is my opinion, totally 100 percent my opinion, is the ground by which they gain their kingdoms as well. It's one of these things that helps that that happen, because uh, really without their control of their banking systems, without the control of all the different things that they they can they need to grasp onto to become kings again. Uh, we know who's in control of a lot of that stuff now, these money systems and everything that in order for them to kind of usurp that national guess yoke on their back, I guess you would call it that whore on their back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I hate, I hate saying that cause it sounds so dirty, but that's exactly what the Bible calls it. The, yeah. whore, the whore on the back of the beast. Yeah. Uh, they're implementing everything they can and, and, and are in the will to do it. And, and of course, you know, I'm not bashing the president. I'm not bashing. I know we had a guy on the other night that man, people hated, hated this guy. Uh, cause he would, he was, uh, you know, kind of bashing Trump telling, you know, telling some of the stuff in his past and history. And, um, I, I, any president that's, you know, that is our president, I respect them to a certain extent, uh, because they are the leader that has been anointed to be our leader. Right. I get it. Even, even Obama was anointed to be our leader at one time, believe it or not. And, uh, so I get that, but, uh, either way, America has a role. And sometimes, uh, you know, we can see where kings like, you know, that like in Babylon, for instance, where Nebuchadnezzar, Yahovah called him his servant, you know, whereas Nebuchadnezzar is the one, you know, one of the, he turned him into a beast at one time, you know, he turned him literally into a beast. He was out eating grass before he gave him a heart of a human again. And um, so we know that he can, Yahweh, Yahovah can intervene at any point in time and really make his mark. So we're not saying that that couldn't happen or hasn't happened. We're just showing you what we see uh, through these books and what we see through current events and history, uh, because, you know, it's, it's very obvious to me that um, America 
has to play some kind of role in prophecy, uh, whether or not it's a directly related or it is a means to an end. Uh, there's something there. So, And basically what happened geopolitically, um, British or what I would call Rosicrucian Freemasonry, they became very frustrated. Uh, Henry VIII broke with the Vatican and started the Church of England. They were at odds with the Vatican. They were at odds also with Grand Orient, French Freemasonry, the French and English wars. They weren't getting the job done. They knew that they were not going to take over and implement their new world order the way they wanted to with so much opposition from the Catholic Church and Grand Orient Freemasonry. So what they did, they decided to use America as their springboard for the new world order. And this was the plan uh, of Francis Bacon, the new Atlantis. And this is the scheme that they initiated and they have been very, very successful in doing that. So that's where we're at today. We see the focus that has shifted uh, from London to now uh, Washington, D.C., and the fight goes on. And as we get near and near to the time of the final implementation, the more that these bloodlines are beginning to work together instead of against one another to bring this plan into fruition. Yeah, and and so um, kind of going into... Uh, can I can I borrow that sure. realm of the Ring Lords book real quick right here? There I, wanted, we go. I wanted to kind of give an idea. So because a lot of people, you know, there's been uh, many videos I think uh, putting Prince. Uh, what's that guy's name? It's not Charles, is it? What's the other the the guy that supposedly got the mark like Harry Potter's got? He's supposed to be like the half blood Prince uh, Prince Harry. Is it not Harry? There is a Prince Harry. It's yeah. the other the other one. The the other guy that Philip, just got, Harry and Charles and maybe who knows one of those, one of those Harry Charles <laughs> or whatever. Uh, there's one of them guys. Yeah. There's, there's ample evidence that, you know, Qu Queen Elizabeth and all them have uh, their, their lineage traced back. And I get, I think the last lineage in, in this book is one of the books that, uh, I mean, he has several books with different lineages where you can kind of go into more detail, but I think this is the one where he gives the very final lineage, the farthest he traced it goes to King Charles III of Britain. Uh, he was a Stuart. Uh, you know, he was a, the Stuarts kind of all, they took over the bloodlines there for a while. You see nothing but Stuarts uh, because the women, uh, if they got married, their husband would take the names. But one of the last bloodlines he traced go all the way back to England um, and Britain and princes, princes of Wales and stuff. So we see that it all kind of meshes together. So when, you know, I saw a video the other day that was, Really, you know, it, it was very valid because, I mean, the lineage that she traces, she could probably trace her lineage to, you know, at least according to this stuff, she could trace it back to, you know, David. She could trace it back to um, Muhammad. She could trace it back to Ishmael. She could trace it back to Tubal Cain, probably Cain. And, you know, she that she has that lineage going on uh, that goes way, way back. And so um, we have. We have that there. I don't know about Scotland if they still retain a lot of their stuff in the French as well, but you see, you see their marks all over the place. Like in, for instance, in America, where they've taken place, you see the what is the Fleur de Lis? Is that's what's mm -hmm. it called? Where you have territories where that family had taken over, uh, and you can tell by the name of the city, like New Orleans, for instance, or or Louisville, or or Lafayette. You know, you're always going to see this Fleur de Lis all over there because this is the insignia of one of these uh, Dispassini bloodlines, and um, 
anyway, I forgot where I was going with all this. I had a point, but I have no idea what it was. So uh, maybe I'll think of it in a minute. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> okay. And I also want to say that before our broadcast is over this evening, we are going to have an amazing slideshow that Sister Donna has prepared, and it is going to rock your world. We're going to show you some visuals that are going to help you connect these things in a way that um, I don't think few people have ever seen them. Well, are you ready for them? I can pop them up if that's what you're want. If that's what you're. All right. At. Well, I mean, if we we, we want to do this now, we can. Might as well, man. We could because we All could right. go on on this subject. Oh yeah, I mean, we could for... just rock it out and. What we're going to do here, uh, I'm going to show how that these bloodlines intermarry and intersect. And uh, in uh, Genesis of the Grail Kings by Mr. Gardner, uh, he talks about the line of Esau. Uh, he says, uh, it is worth considering the legacy of Esau whose descendants carried an immediate dragon heritage by way of his wife, Bashamah, the daughter of Abraham's son, Ishmael, and his wife, Mahalah of Egypt. Mahalah was known as Nefru-Sobek, a daughter of Pharaoh. And Esau, when it says that there were dukes and princes came from Esau, these were very high-bred and noble individuals that intermarried one of the Pharaoh's daughters. And the line of Esau, and uh, as it interbred with Ishmael, from whom also 12 princes came, these can be traced in the uh, Assyrian, Babylonians, the Hyksos, and shepherd kings of Egypt. And uh, they, they really have some very far-reaching implications. And Mr. Gardner connects the seed of Edom with the elven bloodline of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. They hold Lilith and Mary Magdalene to be their elf queens. And of course, this is a lie. Jesus and Mary had no children. They were never married. Jesus died on the cross and his uh, resurrection gives us the victory over this nonsense. But this is their version. Uh, he says, it is therefore apparent that the most ancient customs of the Opires were identical to those of the Grail Kings. And this is hardly surprising since they were precisely the same root culture from the biblical lords of Edom. This Pharaonic and Mesopotamian kingly line by way of certain strategic marriages into the patriarchal line of the Old Testament led ultimately to King David of Israel and onwards to the Albigensian Elven dynasty of Jesus. And it was no earthly dynasty of Jesus, but it was this Nephilim bloodline that was perpetuated from the seed of Edom. And what we're going to do is take it forward and we're going to show how the seed of Edom has intermarried with prominent other bloodlines to help control world power. And some of these visuals are, are going to be stunning. But bring up the first slide there, John. Okay, give me one second here. Got a screen share tonight and, uh, my other computer's about dead here. So here we go. Hopefully that is showing to everybody. It looks like it might be. And a big thank you to Sister Donna. Uh, this Donna put this together. We worked on this just this afternoon, and 
Uh, she is really good at putting these things together, our famous Midnight Ride slideshows. But we're going to talk about the Aldo Brandini family. And what a lot of people don't realize about the papacy is that the papacy is controlled by bloodlines. We could look at families like the Orsinis, the Medicis, and the Aldo Brancinis, and we could look at about eight families, eight to ten families. I bet we could probably find ten. What do you want to bet? But these control and have controlled the Vatican throughout its history. And uh, the Aldo Brancini family will just give a little bit of uh, the impact they've had. Uh, Pope Clement VIII, he was a member of the Aldo Brancini family. And give us the next little fella here. Uh, this is uh, Pietro Aldo, Brand Aldo Brandini. Uh, and I'm probably not saying that quite right, but you get the idea. And there's like five other cardinals. Um, and like the Medici family, it produced like seven popes and 50 cardinals. And we could get uh, about 10 families that have produced the majority of the popes and the cardinals. And, you know, whenever the pope dies, they put on this big deal. We're going to have a vote and election. But it's all bloodlines. It's been controlled by bloodlines throughout its history. And we're going to look at one of the prestigious papal bloodlines from the very beginning. And the Pope Clement, this is back in the 1600s uh, when he was Pope. And from that time and even before that, uh, they have been one of the premier bloodlines of the papacy. Now, go to the next slide here. And what we have here is David and Olympia Rothschild. And David Rothschild of the French Rothschilds, who is now in his 70s, the lady by his side is his wife, who is Princess Olympia Aldo Brandini. And this is where, you know, you'd think, well, boy, these elite Catholic families, they wouldn't marry in to uh, Ashkenazi Jew, but oh yeah, they do. And these bloodlines intermarry for the purpose of consolidating and putting forth power. And it's interesting. Here's one of the pictures with o Olympia Rothschild now was Aldo Brandini. She was the princess of the Aldo Brancinis. And there she is with Elizabeth Taylor and Liza Minnelli. And why that catches my attention is her mother, Judy Garland, played in The Wizard of Oz. And in The Wizard of Oz, this is one of the chief um, programming tools that is used in programming and satanic ritual abuse. And there's another connection I see. Go ahead to the next one, John. And we're going to show some Disney connections with them. But here's another picture of David and Olympia Rothschild. And is it just me, but the picture there of Olympia on the left, of one of her younger pictures, that to me reminds me of Miley Cyrus. Now, maybe that's just me, but the round face and the eyes, that looks like a genetic resemblance to Miley Cyrus. Take that for whatever it is. But there again is David Rothschild and Olympia Alderbrancini, uh, one of the premier world couples, and uh, the marriage of the Rothschilds in with this papal bloodline. Now, 
go ahead to the next slide here, John. And this is just something I picked up. I just uh, Googled uh, the Getty images. And here within these Getty images, we have Wizard of Oz and also Disney. And this is Olympia's daughter here with Mickey Mouse. And Mickey Mouse is also uh, the Disney program is used a lot in programming and SRA. And I just see these things, these visuals that, you know, they just stand out to me because um, I, I've seen so much of this, the way this goes on. And there's such a huge connection with the Vatican and uh, ritual child abuse and the molestation of children, which everybody knows this has been blown out into the open. Now, go to the next slide there, John. And the power that the Albo, the Aldo Brandini family has is unbelievable. And this is called the Villa Aldo Brandini. And this is one of the many villas that the Aldo Brandini family has in Italy. And you can look at these and the wealth and the opulence and the paintings and the sculptures they have is absolutely unbelievable. It's mind boggling. These are the, the kings without a kingdom that really rule the power of the world. And where this is located is phenomenal. This is located on Quirinal Hill. This sits on one of the seven hills of Rome. And I want to read that scripture in uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. It says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, Jerusalem is the city also that sits upon seven hills. Rome is also a city that sits upon seven hills. And here we have the Edomite bloodline of the natural seed of Abraham, the Rothschilds, the Ashkenazi Jews that are intermarrying with the papal bloodline of the Aldobrancinis. And where can David and Olympia hang out? Right on the seven hills of Rome in the Aldo Brancini Villa. And this is actually where the, the gardens of Emperor Constantine was right there on one of the seven hills of Rome. This is just absolutely unbelievable. And what we see here in this slide is some pictures from the grounds of the Villa of Aldo Brancini, which is on one of the, the seven hills of Rome, the Quirinal Hill. And we see here some things that we might not think would be associated with uh, a Catholic villa. But of course, we know also that uh, Constantine was not a true believer, that Constantine, while he was baptized on his deathbed, uh, he never gave up. Um, his title of Saul Invictus, and these are actually the original Garden of Constantine. And here we see one of the fountains in this villa. We have the god Pan there between the two pillars that represent Jaichin and Bokaz, uh, the bisexual god that these people worship. And there we see another cave that has like this monster devil face uh, where you go into the cave. So there's just a lot of things here that let us know that when the Rothschilds married the Aldebrancinis 
and they hang out right on the seven hills of Rome, but there's something here that we really need to pay attention to. And what we have here, I believe, is the Despacini, that is the counterfeit Despacini, beginning to position themselves for their one hour with the beast. Now, you have anything you want to add this for, John? You want to say before we go on? Um, well, yeah, I mean, one thing that I, that I would say, I think on the, on the track of the Rothschilds is a very interesting track to say the least, because these, I've never seen such a power, uh, with somebody that is not a King. You know, I, I saw a picture where one of the Rothschilds is poking Prince Charles in the chest, mm -hmm. a video where he's poking him in the chest. Like basically like, you know, if you, if you go up to somebody and you tower over him and poke him in the chest while you're talking to him, that's intimidating. Uh, these, these, you know, very intimidating type things. And, and so according to uh, other reports that the, the Queen Elizabeth herself, when she goes into the banks, she's not allowed in certain areas where the Rothschilds are and they have, you know, there's there's restrictions for her and, the, and they have these amazing. This is one of their villas, but they have amazing palaces uh, all over the world that, you know, tower and and just when we look at them compared to the rest of, you know, rest of the, the houses we're living in, you know, in the rest of the world, they're massive. And um, the thing about the Rothschilds is they control a lot of the world's wealth. Most people have no idea who they are. I mean, they, he, he basically took control of the London market at one time, you know, the family did. And they, ever since then, they've kind of had this control. They've been, you know, uh, knighted and, and all these different things. And so we have, them control of a lot of the central banking systems of the world control. It looks like of the banking system of the Vatican as well. Uh, we have an amazing power um, coming from one of these bloodlines. And, and of course it's like that with, we can go on any trail of any bloodline and find somebody like the Rothschilds. Um, that's pretty profound, but I would say the Rothschilds is probably one of the most profound just because they control so much of the world's money uh, and, and probably, you know, are richer than anybody else in the world. Yeah. No doubt about that. And it was Meyer uh, that said, I don't care who the king is sitting upon the throne just so I print the money. And that's their philosophy. And they controlled the central banks of Germany, uh, England, and France. And in America, Goldman Sachs is Rothschild controlled and almost every uh, head of the Federal Reserve comes out of Goldman Sachs, uh, figure that. And it's just absolutely amazing the power they have. And when you begin to study the Rothschilds, you've got your French Rothschilds, you've got your British Rothschilds, they, you've got the Rothschilds that have married into the papal bloodlines. They're, there's just nobody like the Rothschilds for the influence that they're able to exercise. And in them, we see the epitome of the Edomite bloodline. That is from the natural seed of Abraham, not the seed of promise, but this, uh, what I would term the synagogue of Satan, which sets people's hair on fire. But I think that's what we've got to call it. Now go up to the next slide, John, and we're going to, we're going to get even more controversial if possible. And this is a picture, uh, a traditional picture of Jesus. And my question is, who is this really a picture of? Uh, it's not a picture of our Lord and Savior, the real Son of God, but I would submit to you 
that this is the picture and the artist rendition of the other Jesus, the Jesus of the Despacini, that they will one day want to set upon the throne of global government. And go to the next slide here, John. And uh, the question there is, who is this? And this is a fella by the name of David Mayer Rothschild. He is of the British Rothschilds. And as you can see, he looks just like Jesus. Now, wait a minute. No, he doesn't look just like Jesus, but he looks just like the Jesus as it has been portrayed by these Renaissance artists that were most always Luciferian and homosexual, and they have painted this picture of Jesus that has been accepted by the masses, which is not the real Jesus, but this is the Jesus of this counterfeit Luciferian Despacini. And here we have David Rothschild, who is now in his 40s. He's of the British Rothschilds, and he looks just like this counterfeit Despacini Jesus. And it's by design. We might say that it is by genetic design. And it's obvious that Mr. Rothschild does everything he can to present himself as the image of this Despacini Jesus, the image of the beast, we might say. And his nickname is actually the Plastic Jesus. And that's his nickname the plastic Jesus, because he so obviously wants to portray himself in this manner. And I believe that this is their plan coming very near to culmination when this counterfeit Despacini, which has been positioned throughout uh, the whole earth, and they want to put their man in. Could this guy be the guy? Well, maybe he is. Maybe he isn't, but uh, this visual, I think, is just absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, a lot. Of, you're you're right. You know, they put this picture out there, and it's amazing to me that people connect that picture uh, with the Messiah. I mean, it's going to be such a such a hook, line, and singer thing when you see somebody like that taking over. I mean, it's going to be people are going to see that, and there it. it no matter what this guy on the left, David Mayer shot, I can uh, assure you that he's not as innocent as he may look, but this look of looking like Jesus gives him this innocent look that you can almost like think this guy is just a kind hearted fellow. But I mean, if he's anything like the rest of his family, he's bloodthirsty uh, and um, you know, wicked as they come. But you see this, you see this image, you know, it automatically, just because you connect it with, with the Messiah, you connect it with Yeshua and, um, yeah, I mean, I it's it's amazing, man. I, I think obviously they're gonna. I think you know if if the bloodline of the the Rex do bloodline or whatever gets their way, it's gonna be a white Jesus. Uh, you know, it depends on which bloodline I guess is on top when the whole when the whole thing comes to a culmination. Like which one you know allow uh, is is um has their. I don't know how you know you you talked about earlier how about they how they fight each other a lot and they how they um do this i wonder who they decide is is the main bloodline uh at the type or if they even decide that or if that's something that's kind of decided by fate 
and I, I think it's kind of the last one left standing. And that's the thing that you see about the Rothschilds. They distribute themselves through Freemasonry. They distribute themselves in many countries in Europe, in America. They have now directly married into the papal bloodlines, and they are in a position to be the power brokers of this whole thing. And this is what they've always been down through history. They have been the power brokers. And when we understand them as the ultimate manifestation of this counterfeit Despacini bloodline, it really makes sense that they have a plan that's genetic. They have a, uh, a plan that is more specific than the genetic breeding programs of Hitler. And this is just absolutely amazing. And now they're with the things that we've understood about transhumanism and the ability to enhance genetics, they are really get, getting this thing down uh, to a fine art. And um, it, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, and it's, it's very important to, it seems very important. Do we have any more slides here? We got a yes, more we do. Uh, I was going to say it's very important to, to them it seems like as well to uh, figure out everybody's dna for some reason we have this real push to gather genetics from everybody through through whether it be through ancestry.com or whatever and and i've heard people say well you know they could just get it from their doctor because your doctor takes samples but the thing about that is uh, i mean i know a lot of people that work in the healthcare industry and because of hipaa laws and stuff like that you can't just go around gathering you'd have to go to each individual hospital all over the world to try to gather everybody's genetic material you can't you, there's no centralized way of doing that right now and so what's what better way is to convince people that they need to do it and make them pay for it and you get the <laughs> privatized uh you know compilation of everybody's dna i think they're looking for these bloodlines they're looking for them so that when the end of the world comes they'll know who they're gonna keep and who they're not gonna keep because obviously we know two-thirds of the world is gonna be you know, at least according to their guidestones and according to what the scripture says, two thirds of the world is going to be put to put to death uh, by one way or another, whether it's famine, disease, war, uh, you name it, uh, it's going to happen. So they, they, I think they're trying to compile everybody and figure out who's who through these bloodlines because the bloodlines are so diluted now, there's no way to really know um, because most people don't even keep genealogies um, at all. I mean, I know, you know, most families in the in the especially in the United States, um, there is no sense of who you know caring, who you know keeping your genealogies or having, at least not in my family. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of people on on my on my mom's side or whatever that had these genealogies that they could show you. They didn't care. You know, it just wasn't something that they worried about. Um, and so, mo I would say most families are like that. What do you think? I mean, I, I you know maybe I'm maybe I'm way out there. I have most families do care about these things and have followed their their uh, genetic trace, but uh, I would say most don't. What do you think? I don't. Um, and uh, someone here recently offered to even pay for Don and I to trace our genealogy. And I know enough about mine right now to scare me. I don't want to know. <laughs> and what matters is, have you been born again? Uh, have you been regenerated, regened by the blood of the lamb? That's the blood that matters is that regeneration. And, uh, We've all got um, things in our genealogy that um, isn't good. Mine is Sicilian, 
And when you look at Sicilian and Italian, gene Italian genealogy, that's some of what we're talking about. And there's some people tonight that would say, well, boy, you're talking about the Ashkenazi Jews. Uh, this is racist. Well, I'm talking about my heritage, too, uh, from these Italian bloodlines. That's my heritage. And uh, and also on my mother's side, I've got Irish bloodline. And John Pounders, for goodness sake, he's uh, a relative of Sir Francis Bacon. So you can have uh, be in these bloodlines and be born again because it's the cleansing of the blood of the lamb. That's what matters. Uh, yeah, because they, they would place Noah in these bloodlines. They would place... They would place any, you know, any biblical character that's of value in these bloodlines anyway. Mm -hmm. They place those people in there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, um, surely, hopefully, um, the bloodline doesn't matter too much. Like you said, if it does, I'm pretty much screwed. I've got, you know, one of our, one of my coat of arms has got dragons on it. <laughs> and the other one's got lions with crowns and all kinds of crazy stuff on it. Mm -hmm. So uh, if, if it comes down to that, I might be doomed, but we'll, we'll hope not anyway. So. No, we know not, and uh, but certainly Francis Bacon is uh, a heavy hitter. And I'll, I want to set these next slides up with Scripture. Second uh, Corinthians 11 and 4, it says, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him and scripture talks about another jesus and the pictures that we see that are drawn by these renaissance and even modern artists this is not the real jesus i can't emphasize that enough and if you can go back to this and if any of you uh enjoy pictures of jesus i'm probably going to really ruin this for you uh all right hold on let me screen share Screen share here again, David. All righty. It's not as easy without having my other computer hooked up. I have to actually go through here and manually, manually do this here. Now, so. there you go. Now, I'm going to talk about a little something. Um, it's called misdirection. And this was a common uh, technique of the Renaissance artists who, like uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and Leonardo da Vinci drew the woman in the Last Supper, uh, to, uh, you know, portray Mary Magdalene there at the last supper. And these were members of what we could call the Ebionite heresy. They believed that Jesus was just a man and that he fathered children and that this is their true bloodline, which was an actuality, the Nephilim bloodline. And in Freemasonry, the letter G stands for generation, the generative principle. And this is the object of worship. Freemasonry is a sex cult. And this is what all of paganism results back to. Uh, it boils down to the worship of the heavenly bodies and of the human reproductive organs. This is what paganism is. And if you look at this picture, you might not notice anything out of the ordinary about it. And that's by design because these Renaissance painters, they were paid money uh, by Catholic uh, officials, the church, to draw these pictures. And, uh, but these painters that most all of them were uh, Luciferians, they would put things in these paintings 
by what they called misdirection that would try to turn it around to glorify their Despacini Jesus. And this is going to be disgusting, but we're going to show you something here. And if you will look at the chest and the abdomen of this painting of Jesus, what you're going to see is a phallic symbol, plain as day. And there is a documentary called The Rape of the Soul. We're going to show you one here in a minute that's even more profound. And there's a documentary called The Rape of the Soul, and it was done by a Catholic layman. And they, and this man was also an artist, and he understood this stuff. And there was uh, he was in the diocese in Chicago, and on their missiles and their calendars, they would put all kinds of occult and phallic symbols. And he confronted uh, his archdiocese with all of this documentation of all of this occult stuff. And um, basically, they said, we don't really care. Just go on your merry way. But it's amazing the things that are in the current uh, missiles and calendars in Roman Catholicism. And once I saw this, it I, I can just see this everywhere. And what this is called is misdirection, where they put these occult symbols in plain sight. And you don't really notice them unless you look, you're looking for them because there's something there that shouldn't be there. Uh, go ahead to the next picture, John. And here in this next uh, picture, uh, it's even more profound. And you can see here that there's this weird picture of Jesus uh, of the Despacini Jesus, and it is indeed a blasphemous picture because right there we have uh, the the phallus, uh portrayed right there in this terrible blasphemy. And uh, there is so much of this stuff that uh, these are just a couple of examples uh, to show you that this Despacini Jesus, this is not the real Jesus, but this is another Jesus. And this is the one that these counterfeit bloodlines are going to infiltrate. And I might say something else also uh, concerning some in the Hebrew root movement. Uh, we've got this guy, Shub, that is saying, well, they're completing Hashem. They're going back to this original uh, Ebionite heresy. Jesus is just a man, female Ruach. This is the original Ebionite heresy that is being taken forward as this counterfeit Despacini. This is the doctrine of the Despacini. Jesus was just a man. And uh, he brought forth through the powers of regeneration. And this is the counterfeit Jesus of generation that is depicted in so many of these. And it's just not one or two. Uh, we could have put a hundred of these up here. And But this is disgusting and enough to make the point. Uh, go ahead to the next slide, John. Now, here's a picture. This is the Israeli Supreme Court. And this was built totally with Rothschild money. And when the Rothschilds uh, built this, there was three conditions. Number one, that the Rothschilds choose the plot of land. Number two, that they would use their own architect. And we could do a seminar just on the Israeli Supreme Court and all of the Masonic and occult symbolism that's in it. And number three, 
that no one would ever know the price that it costs to build it. And those were the three conditions that were laid down by the Rothschilds. And um, it's uh, obvious that the connections between Rothschild and Israel are profound. And we could also do a complete seminar about the Rothschilds and Zionism with the establishing of the state of Israel in 1948. And while that was allowed by God, and it does have a place in Bible prophecy, this is not the regathering of Israel that we see in Scripture. This is going to happen by God. He is going to regather his people. And by the way, that's us, folks. We are the Israel of God. The Israel of God is not, doesn't have a thing to do with ethnicity. And when you understand these bloodlines, the horror of people, just like the show we did with Nathan Reynolds, we talked about the air of dispensationalism when they try to equate the Israel of God with genetics. This is not just a little error. This is a huge error. And when we see the connections here that the Rothschilds have with the current state of Israel, this should give us pause. Uh, go ahead to the next slide here, John. And, uh, this is an interesting Masonic monument at the border, one of the border crossings in Israel. And here you see the very blatant symbolism. We've got the pyramid. We've got the obvious square on the compass. We've got the twin pillars that represent the bisexual God of Freemasonry. And just like, and here it is set in juxtaposition with what we see as we would fly in to America, the square on the compass, the huge one there, but the Washington Monument, and the correlations here are unmistakable. And we did a show not long ago with John and uh, and Jake about the correlation between Jerusalem, Washington, D.C., and Rome. And these correlations are bearing out over and over. They're unmistakable, and you can see them um, in visuals. And um, I think we have one more slide here, John. And this is the obvious visual that we can see in comparing the Vatican with the Capitol building. We've got the obelisk there in the Vatican, and we've got the Washington Monument there across from the Capitol. And just by the most untrained eye can see the correlation here. And the way that this has been a plan, and it has been an intricately executed plan that has taken place over many, many centuries. And when we begin to understand that it's the kings behind the kingdom that are making this happen right now, we begin to pull back the mask on the plan of these evil workers, and we can understand what we see on the evening news with just a little bit more clarity. Yeah, I agree, man. And, and you know, you, you talked about a lot of these paintings that kind of show this this idea. Let me stop sharing the screen share here. See. And thank you very much, Sister Donna. You did some tremendous work as always, putting together our midnight ride slideshow. Yeah, really fantastic job. When you look at when you know, and going back to kind of like some of the paintings, when you look at the, in this book right here, this is uh, one of the books of Bloodlines of the Holy Grail. It shows. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys can see this very well or not, but it shows a lot of these 
paintings that have this this hidden grill uh, symbolism in them. And, and most of you guys have probably seen Da Vinci Code by uh, I Dan to, Brown. With Dan Brown with starring Forrest Gump. Uh, it's not really Forrest Tom Gump. Hanks. Tom Hanks, yeah. Um, but you see a lot of this stuff in these paintings. And um, it's not by it's by design. It's not by accident for sure. I mean, we we, you know, the subconscious mind is is much more um, in tune than what people understand. Okay, so this is something that I, I think is really um, phenomenal about the the deception and and the I guess the you know what's going on here. This thing. Oh, there we go. The deception is so um genius i guess i don't know what the word i'm looking for but it's so well ingrained um i mean they've ingrained it in every bit of ancient architecture i mean you look at a piece of architecture you're gonna find uh at least especially the gothic architecture and the and even go ancient egypt i mean it doesn't matter you go way back you find all of the symbolism in these things they knew what they were doing when they built these these stone towers when they built these uh, things they knew what they're doing and they know what they're doing now when they're integrating it into your child's cartoon when they're embedded it into all the movies that you watch uh, they know what they're doing they're they're setting you up uh, because yeah i don't know you got there's a movie and i can't remember it's not a movie it was a documentary but it was a con man and this guy to get okay so he would con people without them ever knowing it because he was really good at setting up subconscious things when they're in their minds so like if he uh, wanted somebody to say a certain word or they he wanted to, you know, he wanted them to say these different things. What he would do is throughout the day, it showed him going throughout the day with this person and without them even knowing he's around, he would have somebody sit up down the way the person's walking, holding a sign that said the word on it that he wanted people to say. He would set it up to where somebody called him and said the word. He'd, all throughout the day, he's had people setting up this word for these people. So then when he... um when he guesses what this person's going to say, uh, it's phenomenal. You know, it's a big, big thing. This person's like, wow, how'd you do that? And that's the same kind of mentality that's going on right now, or same kind of, um, uh, trick that's going on right now. We're, we're seeing these symbols all throughout our lives over and over again. So when the time comes to ask the question, we've seen these symbols so many times, there's our answer. And, and, and people, um, and we, you know, I, it took me a long time to be aware of that thing, aware of why they're doing that. Why are they giving all these answers in these movies? Why are they hiding this stuff in plain sight? Why are they doing all this? It's, it's because they want you to know it. They want you to see it. Even if it's just subconscious, they want you to see it. Uh, because without it, I mean, they don't have much of a case. And, and so, um, and, and that's one reason too, we, we love the book of Enoch. We love, love the scripture because we believe that is the truth. hundred percent. We believe this is the truth. This is the point of view of our King the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Yahovah, the Messiah, you know, and his son, the Messiah. This is, this is what we believe. And, and we believe the book of Enoch is the perspective by which we gauge truth by, because it, you know, it's easy to look at the perspective of Gnosticism, which comes from a fallen angel, right? It might come from a fallen angel or it might come from a demonic entity, or it might come from Nimrod, but you know, it comes from another, source where he has the book the first book of enoch and the second and third i do not say this about at all because it's not the second and third book of enoch it's totally written by another person you can tell when you read it the first book of enoch the only book of enoch in my opinion that, that we know about is um gives a perspective from the mouth of 
our creator, the, the, the great I am, the most high, uh, Yahovah, it gives that perspective. And that's what we judge our truth by. Um, and so anyways, I know that we are coming, we got about 15 minutes before questions, but I know that it looks like we have quite a few of them. And so if you have anything else to say, then maybe Donna can come on and, and ask questions. So we, this time maybe we don't go to like one o'clock in the morning. Right. So. Yeah. We can just, I'm sure we have some intriguing questions so we can just, um, go right in there. And it, it reminds me of the scripture, um, in first John five nineteen, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness and mm -hmm. ain't it the truth. I mean, we are the set apart people of God and we are to be set apart from all this nonsense, set apart unto the word of God. And in the final analysis, all their power, and all their money and all their centuries of planning, it will not overcome the death of Yeshua on the cross. Amen. That is where the power is. They are on the wrong side and they just don't know it. Exactly. And Sister Donna, are you going to come on and ask some questions or you want me to do it? Uh, I'm here. I'm here. Well, all right. So let's get us get us going, Sister Donna. We're going to go ahead and start on them. That way, we Shake don't have to bake. go. We don't have to go too much over tonight. I know I've got a heck of a drive, and I know uh, I've drank a lot of coffee too. And the bathroom is downstairs, so I'm kind of a uh, kind of in one of those one of those. I might have to let David answer some questions and run down there. So, um, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, Allie wants to know: Is there any relation? between the 10 kings of revelation and the 10 toes of Nebuchadnezzar's Nebuchadnezzar's dream image. Yes, there is. And the, the 10 toes in Daniel two, and we see the 10 also in Daniel seven, and we see the 10 also in the book of revelation 17. And there absolutely is. And what I believe in Daniel chapter two, we see the four kingdoms that were there from the fall of man to the cross. And uh, they were Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Rome, I believe. I think I've got those right. And then in Daniel's, and then the ten toes, we see that representative of the power base that was always been there. It's always been the 10, the bloodlines that's always powered the empires. And then in Daniel seven, what I believe we have the four empires that are there from the cross till the return of Christ. And I would believe, uh, that would be, uh, England, uh, Russia, uh, Germany and the United States. And we are the final kingdom. We are the culmination of history. We are the ones that are running the show right now. And if the program is going to wind up in our time, and I believe it very well could, uh, we are that final beast kingdom. Okay. Okay. Just I got nothing to add to that either. I think that, okay. that that's exactly... <clears throat> definitely is talking about that. Okay, yeah. Ellie's question is, um, does the Freemason of the 33rd degree choose good religion or bad? 
Well, the fact that you're a 33rd degree Freemason means you've already made a bad choice. You have made the choice to be in Freemasonry, which even in the Blue Lodge, they worship the Gayatu, which is not the God of the Bible, but the God, the Gayatu, which is an acronym for the Grand Architect of the Universe. He is the God of Freemasonry that awards salvation to every Freemason on the basis of their Masonic works, with or without Jesus. So already, uh, the fact that you're a Freemason means you've already made a very bad choice. Yeah, and you know, you, you're. It's not even so much the choice of the religion; it's just the fact that you've linked yourself with a bunch of people that you don't even. This is not the only reason, but one of the. To me, it's one of the biggest things. You know, it says, "Don't yoke yourself together with unbeliever." And not to make any oaths, you know, or not to not to swear on anything greater than yourself. So, yeah, I mean, the first in the first degree, you got to swear on the Bible and you got to swear allegiance to a bunch of people you don't even know. Millions of people across the world that you have no idea who they are. And I can tell you right now, we've uncovered a lot about some who some of these people are. And you do not want to be linked together and in a contract and have a, um, a spiritual tie to these people. Um, even if you're not a bad person, you know, I know that there's fear masons that are not bad people. They've joined, they have no idea what they even gotten themselves into. They might even be way up there in the ladder and have no idea, but I can tell you right now, they've linked themselves together with some pretty nasty people and you bar their religious ideas or anything. You, that should be enough right there. Yeah. And, uh, in, uh, the blue lodge initiation, they put the rope or the cable toe around your neck. And the verbiage in the ritual reads in so many words that with this cable toe, you link yourself to every Freemason in the world. And we're talking Aleister Crowley, Joseph Smith, uh, you name it. So that's not what you want to do. Okay. Allie's question is, um, what John said about the Malcolms blew me away because Dr. Pigeon has some proof that Malcolm X was actually Barack Obama's real father. So that bloodline thing makes so much sense if you marry these two pieces together. There you go. Yeah, and I don't have any pr for, for sure proof that this is the case, but when anytime you see somebody like that popping up um, and, and – and I've seen the uh, and I've seen what Stephen Pigeon said about him possibly being the father. And he look they look identical. I mean, there's probably it's very possible that that's the case. But when you see this, when you see certain things like Malcolm X, like no other name, Malcolm X is the name. And the the only reason it made me think that is I saw these different Malcolms through this thing, and I'm like, hmm, this you know. And I look at the dates of these Malcolms, and then there's a gap on Malcolms right for a long time. And then I start doing the math. And seeing like, okay, so where would this Malcolm the 10th come in history? Uh, what time period would he come into? And it takes you to the 1900s, you know, like late 1900s and uh, early, you know, 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s era, you know, possibly even a little bit further down the line. But you come to this, this um, generation thing to where he could very well possibly be the 10th because that would be the time period the 10th Malcolm would actually have lived. So, I mean, it's not, you know, I'm sure somebody that, I don't, I've never seen anybody do the research on it, but I'm sure that if somebody wanted to, they could really uh, dig. It might be a, a rabbit hole worth going down, that's for sure. I didn't have time to do it this week, but it definitely might be something to, uh, to go down for the future. Okay, and the next question is from um, YouTube. Corey wants to know, um, is this particular blood type supposedly doomed? 
Well, like we said, not necessarily. Um, there's different degrees of purity of Nephilim blood. And even within particular bloodlines, there's uh, the way that they will specifically intermarry. We'll have some families with a bloodline with a higher intensity of Nephilim blood than others. And like we've already said, uh, John is from the ancestry of Sir Francis Bacon. You know, I come from hardcore Sicilian uh, bloodline. So it doesn't necessarily mean, like we say, what means uh, uh, in Titus 3.5. I love that scripture. It's a very good one uh, to keep in mind in regard uh, with the bloodlines. Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And we are washed and we are regened uh, when we are born again. We are literally a new creation and a new creature by the miracle of new birth. And that's the way God God's kingdom works. It does not work with genetics. And John chapter 1, uh, verse 12 and 13 is good also. Um, it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the way God's kingdom works, by the blood of the lamb, not by the blood of these uh Nephilim bloodlines. Amen. Uh, Lois wants to know, how can the popes have a legitimate bloodline since they are supposed to be celibate? Could you repeat that, please, Donna? Lois asked the question, how can the popes have a legitimate bloodline since they are supposed to be celibate? <laughs> well, I mean, they had to have parents, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, right. just because they're um, celibate don't mean they didn't have parents, so. And if you study the popes, um, many of them were not so celibate. And uh, this is just the sad truth of it. I didn't mean to laugh at your question. I'm just laughing at the popes. And like John said, like the uh, Alderbassini family, uh, that family has produced some of the most elite uh, popes and cardinals, and like the Medici family, uh, we've got like seven popes, 50 cardinals, and the Orsini family. And we could take a look at uh, 10 elite families, and we could see that the papacy is very much a bloodline-controlled and supported deal. And uh, as we've also seen in our study tonight, uh, these bloodlines have intermarried with other elite bloodlines. And this is how they control the world. They're the kings without a kingdom. This is the way they do it. And their bloodlines are very, um, very secretive a lot of times, too. When you have a bloodline connection to something, sometimes you have a really hard time finding anything on your family or anything along those lines because a lot of these people fathered children that you you won't know about unless you look at their genealogical records um, there's been several cases where you see these kings that had whole genealogical records of all these children that they fathered that they never, nobody ever really knew about until you yeah. see the see the records later in life. So, I mean, you don't, we don't know. Like David said, they may have had several children. I mean, that we know that they're not celibate. We know that the 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 priests say they are, but there's a lot of uh, proof that they're doing some nasty, nasty things behind closed doors. So, oh yeah, and at the time of the Protestant Reformation. There were orphanages all over Europe, 
for the children that came from the nuns. And, you know, this is just uh, a common fact. And why do you think that when these men become Pope, that they change their family name and they won't go with a real name anymore? And I believe that this is to disguise the fact that you've got about 10 families that have controlled the Vatican throughout its history and due to this day. And they don't want you to know that. So when they take their cardinal's hat and when they take the, the Pope's tiara, they don't use their family name anymore. And this muddies the waters and you got to really dig uh, to figure out that the bloodlines are controlling the Vatican also. Speaking on that subject of um, the, the Pope's not being celibate, and Lois said that was just kind of a zinger. But <laughs> anyway, um, also, Years ago, somebody sent us some uh, cassette tapes. That's how old it is. But they've made a video of it. Sister Charlotte and the Cloistered Nuns. Oh, baby. And I guarantee you, if you want to find out um, about how evil it really was back then, you could watch that video. And it's it's very disgusting, but yet informative. So, yep, lots of things going on. And, uh, and I can, we you know, we... I don't know how many years ago we got a hold of that old cassette tape. And these uh, are even tame compared to the horror stories that have come out of the Boston diocese and this Irish priest that molested so many children. They were knowingly covered up by the Vatican. I mean, this is all public knowledge. It's terrible and disgusting. And, uh, you know, this is just what's been going on for, for so long. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just not a very pretty picture. And this is, uh, these, these bloodlines at work, you know, have you, have you looked at, you know, the Fisher Kings, you've heard of the oh, Fisher yeah. Kings mm -hmm. and the idea behind that. I wonder if there's something connecting those to the Fisher Kings. Cause a lot of them were, they weren't, they weren't able to have children for some reason or, or another. You remember the yeah. legend of the Fisher Kings. I mean, it depends on what narrative you go with, you know, whether you go by the Greek narrative or the Babylonian narrative or whatever. But I, I was, I was thinking about that. Um, you know, the other day, just wondering if, if that there's a connection between the popes and the Fisher Kings. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'm not. sure there are many that we could find. I'm sure that there are many years ago too, when we were dealing with the children from the blue house, um, there were some allegations towards our local, um, priests and, uh, other places. And our, we had a, a friend that was a cleaning lady. And it was just really disgusting what she divulged for a couple places here in town. And it was all during that same time when this child abuse was a rampant. And, and I'm not saying that it's just in the past. I believe it's probably still going on to some extent. We just haven't been investigating it uh, recently to expose anything else. But child abuse is always an ongoing thing. And in all fairness, this isn't something that uh, Catholicism has a market on uh, or no. This is something that we've seen in Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses. We've seen it in evangelical churches. You know, this is across the board in organized religion because, you know, you've got Babylon and you've got the daughters of Babylon. And it's, uh, it's just not good. Dusty has a question. She wants to know, um, says, I know this is asking for speculation, but based on the prophecy of the last Pope, uh, do you believe that we have come to the point in that time where we have reached the last Pope? 
there was a there was you know the book um that that um tom horn and the late chris putnam wrote was pretty pretty uh they they had a really good you know i mean they showed you they showed us everything that they could show us on the subject i guess but it seems to be that way i mean from what i can see it seems at least according to these i mean this is not a biblical prophecy this is a prophecy of the popes this is like malachi martin stuff and prophecies uh that he showed from the church that um that they've tried to kind of go with i mean you you look at the different popes that they have it seems like each pope kind of fit that description so you know it looks that way. What do you think, David? I think that if this Pope now isn't the false prophet, it's like he's in a, I want to be the false prophet contest. Right. He's doing everything that we would expect a Pope. That's going to be the false prophet to do. I don't know if he's the guy it'll be him or it'll be the next guy or the next one. Just like him. I believe that the false prophet will indeed be one of the popes of Rome. And this prophet, prophecy came from an Irish priest uh, many centuries ago, and I don't put a lot of stock in the prophecy itself. However, I believe that people in power have tried to use this to bring about their plan. In other words, this prophecy says that right now we're at the time, and some people say, well, it's this pope. Some say, well, They'll figure it a little different. It's the one after him. Whether it's him, the next guy, or the next one after him, we are at that time. And I believe that these Luciferian bloodlines have tried to use this prophecy of St. Malachi to bring about uh, their prophecy. Because in many uh, Catholics, they really believe in this prophecy. And it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that they can use to their own ends. And there's a lot of interesting core, you know, interesting things about this Pope. I mean, the first Jesuit Pope, the first, you know, this is, this is um, amazing. If you understand the war that's been going on within, within the Catholic church and within the Catholic church and the Freemasons, you understand that the Jesuits are, uh, were uh, infiltrators of the Catholic church. It you know, basically at one time they took control of a lot of that, that stuff. I mean, there's a lot going on there that, that, um, than meets the eye. I mean, the fact that they have a Pope that is a Jesuit Pope oh, that's is huge. That's massive. Huge. So that's huge. I just wanted to speak a little bit to an issue and I, I can't help but go back. I was thinking about the um, comments we got under one of our videos. Somebody actually said I should keep my mouth shut and not say anything, but I do have your permission, David and John to speak. Don't I? Yes, you do. We, we don't listen to people like that. We listen to people that, that care about what we're doing here. Not some um, person that likes to make people feel bad. So if you're, you know, those, those people are crazy. Hey, I've got really thick skin and trolls don't bother me a whole lot. No. <laughs> well, I wanted to comment about the art, the, uh, the stained glass windows and the, the phallic symbols that has been placed within the art. And we, we did see that uh, video called rape of the soul. And there are some links, but I don't know if you can actually see the whole video on YouTube, but there are some other things he deals with like reading cards and missiles. And it is all over the Catholic art, but it's also in other uh, Christian stained glass windows and in other art. And once you see that, like David said, your eyes are open. There's not only, just this type of thing. There's uh, 666, there's the F word, there's all kinds of things that are hidden. And my concern is what is happening when people sit in churches all the time and they're surrounded by that art. And um, 
they're subjected to subliminally, but what can that cause, David? I mean, well, it's just like, um, you know, so many times we've understood three-dimensional objects are devil magnets. And when you have these sculptures and these things in churches, this just attracts unclean spirits. And it's just the epitome of blasphemy, uh, this blasphemous art. I mean, it's rank blasphemy. It's lifting up another Jesus and another spirit, and it's just foul blasphemy. So it absolutely is bringing in foul spirits right into the midst of these uh, congregations. And many, I know we've studied in the past, uh, stained glass window companies, and these are owned by Freemasons. And the you you it goes hand in hand with uh, Masonic symbols and stained glass windows, which we could give uh, blue coup examples of those also. And um, these are just things that the enemy does to be able to prevent any uh, significant uprising against his kingdom to take place. He infiltrates, he dilutes, and he tries to uh, get the camp of God to compromise. And he's very, very good at it. And the only way to stop him at his game is to come out from among them and be ye separate and understand the power of agreement of a set-apart walk. Thank you, David. And that did remind me of that funny but sad story that we could tell. Um, yeah. He was speaking at Ross Perot's home church. And <laughs> Uh, he had called me and told me how big the vestibule was, bigger than our trailer. <laughs> and then he uh, he said, and you won't believe what's right above the pulpit, an all-seeing eye. So tell it, David. He, he was Okay, I'll tell the story real quick. But believe it or not, um, there was a uh, years ago, oh, this is probably about 1995, I did a seminar in Ross Perot's home church in Texarkana, Texas. And a radio station flew me down there and uh, their venue, they couldn't get the place where they were going to hold it. And the guy that owned the radio station was friends with this pastor that was Ross Perot's cousin. So he let us use the, the, the Ross Perot's church there. And the preacher's wife and his mother sit on the front row. And they were loving every word come out of my mouth. They were so into it. And I was teaching on the third degree of Freemasonry. And behind me was about a 15-foot stained glass Jesus. And right above his head was a triangle with the all-seeing eye in it. And I was teaching about the all-seeing eye and the third degree of Freemasonry. And the pastor's wife's mother, who was a little old Methodist lady, had her hair in a bun. And she starts looking up at the stained glass Jesus that was behind me and starts pointing to the all-seeing eye going, ooh, ooh, ooh. She says, is that it? Ooh, ooh. And I just turned around and I looked at that all-seeing eye and I turned back and I says, yes, ma'am, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and needless to say, if Pastor Perot could have pulled a lever and shot me into the bowels of hell at that moment, <laughs> he would have gladly done it. <laughs> That just we actually, we actually have that service on a cassette tape, Donna. We're going to have to upload that to our YouTube one of these days. It'd be uh, worth getting some popcorn and listening to. <laughs> I couldn't help but think of that. That shows you there are things hidden, plain sight there. You know, that was right there in that church and had been there for a long time. and Nobody noticed it. Um, but it, it does have, have an effect on people. And uh, okay, 
I have a, a, a statement here from um, Thomas. He just wanted to warn us. He said, um, also caution against blood tests. Who knows what's happening to the blood after the lab has done their thing. When they were talking about the genealogy and the DNA. So he's right. You never know what they're going to do. That's a, a good word of wisdom. And also I know our friends from down in Atlanta. We remember what they told us that they were going to get life insurance and the life insurance salesman wanted to take a blood and DNA sample for before they got the life insurance, you mm -hmm. know, and they just got to be uh, compiling DNA banks with this stuff. You know, well, I mean, you, you got people like Zuckerberg pushing forward in his speeches, you know, yeah, let's, let's share our DNA so that we can come up with answers to the problems that we're having in the world. When you got people, you know, ancestry.com pushing it, you see these ads everywhere for DNA. I mean, like I said before, they cannot get it. There's no way somebody can compile all the DNA from every doctor's office in the world. Every doctor. I mean, their, their HIPAA laws are too great at this time. Even if they had the power to do it, you'd have to go to each individual hospital because most ho hospitals don't keep their stuff logged in a universal bank. I mean, but when you have a private company that it has a lot of money to put throw at it and make people think it's a good idea, the best idea that they, anything they can do is get their DNA sampled, all this stuff, and you have it privatized all of a sudden, they have rights to your DNA after that, and they don't have to go through HIPAA laws because you just gave your DNA to a private company. And I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but it seems suspicious to me. And when you have the people like Zuckerberg, uh, that is clearly a um, a descendant of the Rothschilds. Uh, and I think that if you haven't seen that, they proved that he's actually like a grandson of one of the Rothschilds. Uh, when you have people like that pushing it and you, you know, you, you red flags, boom, all day long, yeah, you know, big pe time. people like that open their mouth. All I hear is, well, I'm not going to say what I hear, but <laughs> it's not the birds singing in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Richard has a question. We were go on for beginning deeper uh, from a, a question from Doris from YouTube. Uh, David, do you think that this image of Jesus may be the deception that will fool even the elect with the second coming? Could very well be. Uh, this is the other Jesus. And just like we were talking this evening, how easy would it be for people to fall for a false Jesus that looks just like this counterfeit Jesus that they've all got in their mind that they think's the real Jesus through all these pictures. I mean, this is, this could be huge. And uh, I think this is exactly what this counterfeit Despacini is doing. Well, think about it. I mean, people have seen this picture of uh, Caesar Bor Borgio or whoever this guy looks like, this uh, David, David uh, Rothschild looking character, you know, their whole life. And imagine a black Jesus comes up in the sky, people are going to freak out. There's going to be a lot of oh, people yeah. have no idea what's going on. If that's, if that's what happens. I mean, we don't know, you know, yeah. he may have been black as any black can be. He may have, uh, may have been, he may have looked like uh jet Lee. I don't know, you know, for sure. But I can tell you this, you know, the Bible describes him as a scary sight. You know, they say yeah. he's in the, he's in the, he's in the clouds feet are bronze, which, you know, to me is a dark looking color. Uh, if, if that's actually describing the skin on his feet and then he's got hair like wool, white hair like wool, and he's got fiery red eyes and the whole world's going to weep at the sight of him. You know, those that pierce him are going to weep. I mean, so we're going to see something different than what uh, this little metrosexual uh, picture of Jesus is, I think. So, yeah, you this better. Is we, we caution people so much on not uh you know, dwelling on these pictures or even having them in their home. Um, 
uh, we, we truly do try to avoid that totally because nobody can really know what Jesus really looked like. Uh, he probably, he was Jewish descent. He could have been uh, short and stocky and had a big nose, but it personally, it just shouldn't matter. And people get so hooked up on having pictures of Jesus around. Well, that is an idol. So they, they need to be careful about that. Well, and plus the, the history on it. So like unclear to me, I mean, I've seen, been reading, you know, just the history behind it. And there's so many people that documented Jesus, which people, people are always like, name one source outside of the Bible that documents Jesus. I can name like 50. I mean, straight yeah. up, I looked, I've been looking research and so there's like 50 non-Christian sources that use, that talk about Jesus. Some that actually hated him and they actually did. not one of them says that he was a short redheaded hunchback uh, and he was ugly as all get out, which would kind of jive with the Bible. It wasn't pretty to look at or anything like that. But these are these are some people that actually didn't like him, that this is what they said the way he looked. So who knows? I mean, you know, there's no way to find out. I mean, I've looked really, really hard, and, and there's so many people that say different things. But um, you're right. It doesn't matter. I mean, he could, it doesn't matter what this race is because it's about who he is. And so whether – I. It could matter to a racist, though. I can guarantee you there's a lot of white people that if they yeah. saw a black Jesus in the sky, they'd be probably doing something in their pants, they, you know, that they <laughs> had to do. And then there's the black people that are so racist that they saw a white Jesus in the sky, the same thing would be going on. So I had a comment from one of the people that had was looking at the pictures of the with the phallic symbol in it with the Jesus. And uh, Lori, she said, does anyone else see the demon in the robe between Jesus' knees and yeah. the guy on the red on the right? So believe me, there are lots of things you can oh, see yeah. when you look at them a little bit longer, sometimes even enlarge yeah. those pictures. And I mean, it's um, hidden. This, uh, the, the documentary, like I just was floored when we got this documentary, The Rape of the Soul. And it's old, we watched this years ago. And you talk about an eye opener, the amazing stuff that they put in there. I mean, you, we just go on all night about it. It's they put devils and you name it in there. I mean, this is extensive and widespread big time and has been for centuries. And another comment from Roy, he says, one could also say that the Mesas put their mark on this uh, via their generative principle, G, but using a phallus. That's exactly right. That's exactly That's right, right. Stands for generation. And this is the uh, symbol of generation on the Despacini Jesus that brings forth their bloodline by generation, which, of course, is a big lie out of the pit of hell. Not the right Jesus. Okay, Scotty wants to know, is it possible that demons encourage the use of these symbols to not only overtly dis display who somehow take things of Yah and twist them for their own purpose? Oh, yeah. Uh, exactly. That's what they do. Devil's like a roaring lion yes. waiting to see who he can devour. No doubt. Okay. How, how does a person get um, set totally free from Freemasonry? And if there are Freemasons in the family line, are there some specific ways they need to pray? Well, uh, repentance and renunciation, and there's a couple things involved. There's iniquity because Freemasonry is 
uh, idolatry, there's iniquity that's passed down through the fourth generations. And iniquity is not the fact that you're being punished for your parents' sins, but it's a fact that there's an inherent weakness that's transmitted to your fallen nature from your parents. So you pray for cleansing of iniquity, and also because almost always the devil can trick us into acting on the ground and bringing curses on, we also pray to break the curse. So you repent, you renounce, you pray for cleansing iniquity and the breaking of the curse. And a lot of, you know, a lot of these prayers, um, they'll tell you, you got to pray for every degree, this, that, and the other. I don't believe that. A, uh, a prayer that you pray in the spirit to really earnestly uh, pray for cleansing of iniquity and breaking of the curse. That is what is really effective with beating back uh, this curse and iniquity of Freemasonry. It's done with the cross. The cross is where these devils were defeated, and that's what the devil can't take, applying the real blood of the Lamb, the real blood of regeneration to your heart and your genetics. And this also applies for the Shriners too, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the Shriners is just the... Uh, uh, another one of the branches of Freemasonry. Every Shriner is a Freemason. Okay. And um, we have seen Freemasons. They've called us. They've got out. They've called and say, I want to get clean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Several that listened to uh, Now You See TV. Yeah. So it is possible that what holds men in there is that fear. And Jesus doesn't want us to live in fear. And he's offered a way out, just like David said, simply just pray and believe in what he's already done for you on the cross. Um, Richard has a question um, from blood slaves. Dispassini, are they from Cain's bloodline? Well, the bloodline of Cain was intermingled with the Nephilim. We know this also. And from the time of Noah forward, there was a reinfestation. So this line of Cain, uh, most definitely, this was a line that was inbred with the Nephilim bloodlines. And then we take it up, and from the time of Noah, we can take take it from uh, the wife of Ham, of uh, Ham, yeah. And uh, we can see it come in again there because in the land, when they went into the land of Canaan, all of the ites that were, they were told to drive out, these were all the descendants of Ham. So we can trace that bloodline from Noah forward there. So, Okay. Um, Carrie uh, has a question. The names on the vesture of the Catholic priests add up to 666. Is the beast of Revelation a pope or priest? Wouldn't we know right away as believers if he took the stage? And in the book of Revelation, we have two beasts. One is the first beast out of the sea is a political military guy. The second beast out of the earth in verses 11 through 14, he is a false prophet a religious figure, and I believe he will be one of the popes. And the revealing of the Bible says let in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be 
the following way first and the man of sin be revealed. And the revelation of the man of sin will be something that will happen. And this will be a revelation that God's people will be able to know. We will be able to see and identify this guy because it will be a revelation unto God's people. So, yeah, we're going to know. And just for a little clarification on the Shriner aspect, um, how far did it have to be in Freemasonry before you could become a Shriner? How does that work? Only third degree now. Used to, it used to be 32nd degree, but now because their enrollment's down, you can become a Shriner after the third degree of the Blue Lodge. And some people too, I know, I, I, the only reason I know this is because usually that's exactly the truth. You have to be a Master Mason in order to even be considered but i remember when i was they were trying to kind of recruit me for the shriners they went they took me in there and showed me the picture of my uncle on the wall all this stuff and they said that usually you have to be third degrees like but i think we can probably get you right into the shriners uh from here so i think they make exceptions maybe for some people but i think that for sure i mean usually if you get in the scottish ride or yorkish ride or anything you have to be at least third degree yeah you can't you yeah. can't start at any of those so yeah even to get into the no res, they yeah. used to call the no res the poor man shrine because uh, it used to be you had to be a 32nd degree Scottish Rite or 7th degree York Rite mm -hmm. to get into the shrine, but that's no longer true. Yep. And then how does this all work with the Prince Hall since we're on that subject? Well, basically, uh, in the first three degrees, there's no difference between Prince Hall and Blue Lodge Freemasonry. Um, I know here... Um, I saw the Duncan's ritual ordered in that the, I saw them reserved there with, uh, a rubber band around them that the Prince Hall were buying and, uh, the Prince Hall, they use the same. The only basic difference is that there's discrimination, uh, there's been tremendous racism in Freemasonry and many lodges, uh, not that many years ago would not allow uh, an African, an American in their lodges, very racist. And this is breaking down some more over time. It's, it's but, especially uh, in the United States too, because other parts of the country, I mean, there's no problem with different races in Freemasonry, right? I mean, it's just right. mainly the United yeah. States. We had that yeah, control of the KKK around here for so yeah. long that they are so racist around here. Yeah. And especially of course, in the South, uh, that was a big problem, but that's basically, in uh, the first three degrees, there's no difference between Prince Hall and they also have uh, their Shriners, but there's no um, Luciferian power structure over the Prince Hall. Uh, th they don't have that. This, And of course, it's ungodly. You swear a, a oath to a pagan deity, just like you do in the regular lodge, but they're not tied into that Luciferian power structure like um, the uh, White Lodge, if you will, is. But it's still just as deceptive. Have, it's yeah. ungodly. It'll it's spiritual poison just the same. And it just doesn't have the global connections that the other lodge does. And our resources, we offer a DVD, which is very rare. Well, David actually had the um the well, he actually we were doing ministry to Mason's conferences and we actually had a public debate with um, the Prince Hall Lodge uh, down in uh, Arkansas and the Worshipful Master was there and it was quite, quite something. Yeah, he was the head of, of the Prince Hall Lodge for the state of whole state of Louisiana. And we had a public debate with him in a church in um, Jackson, Arkansas. 
and we still have that debate on uh, DVD. It's quite a hoot. Quite a hoot. Yeah, that was a good debate. I, I had it up on YouTube for a while, but we uh, you, we took it down because the guy that I guess the guy that filmed it didn't want it up on YouTube right. for some yeah. weird yeah. reason. But yeah, it was a good debate. That's not my philosophy. It was up to me. I'd throw it out there everywhere, but we still do have that in hard copy in our ministry. We have some um, interesting old stuff that we've done down through the years. Uh -huh. Um, Bill wants to know how many, uh, well, actually you might ask this in the chat, but I guess it'd be a good question. How many know um, of the presidents all being related to the Royal family and their running opponents? All but two of them actually. Yeah, I don't know about Trump. I'm sure he's related to somebody somehow, but all but two presidents were related to King John king george winner john king john yeah and uh yeah that's a that's a fact and of course i might get in trouble if someone else got in trouble uh for bad mouthing trump but i mean facts are facts and trump comes from that scottish heritage and on the trump coat of arms you see the double-headed eagle and gary wayne did a masterful job in one of our shows i think our knights of satan show and he tied the double-headed eagle symbology of uh, an, an emblem of the Luciferian bloodline. He took it all the way back to Babylon. I really like that. And uh, so, yeah, I think Trump is of the bloodlines. I really do. And, and another question from Shezza from YouTube. What about the Shroud of Turin? Is that what Jesus looks like? No. That, you know, that depends on how you give credence to the Shroud of Turin for being that cloak that covered uh, Yeshua or not. And I, you know, I don't know what I, you know, I've looked at, looked at that and I, and I'm like, so what proof do they have that this is, this is even him? Cause I, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the, the guy that found if you saw the documentary about how they found this shroud, it looked set up to me like big, it, like it looked like a big acting job. I don't know, man. I mean, if you believe that that's the, you know, Yeshua's shroud, then yeah, I guess it looks just like him. But if, if you're like me and skeptic, you just, you just don't know. Yeah, I don't believe it. And, um, there's a book by a 33rd degree Freemason. I am trying to think of his name and I'm sure I'm not going to be able to do it. I've got it at home. Daniel. No. Um, he's about like Lawrence Gardner. He's a 33rd degree Freemason from England that knows way too much. And his theory is that the Shroud of Turin is the burial cloth of Jacques de Molay, which is the Masonic Messiah of the Knights Templar that um, they believe will come back. Now, this is another thing. It was controlled. I think the Medici family uh, had control of the Shroud. And these bloodline families and these... Uh, doodads and trinkets they have i don't believe none of it well i'm not so sure but i really have my doubts that um that father god would have allowed mm -hmm. this type of thing to be laying around for people to worship because you know we're not supposed to worship idols and wow. that would be what would happen uh and it's just like we've met several um catholics I have a lot of catholic friends but yeah when they start, they have all these relics and they pay money to get oh, these relics and they sure they do. The blood of, or and I mean, a bone of so-and-so hanging around their neck. It's a bone. And, and, you know, a lot of people are big believers in the shroud. And if you do, that's, you know, your business. I just don't, I don't believe any of that. 
Okay, going on to the next question. In the future, this is from Bloodsport. In the future, with robotics, could demonic energy be used to energize, or could the robotic bodies be used to uh, as a vessel for a demon? Synchronicity, baby, and uh, AI, yeah, absolutely. And um, this is very much within the realm of possibility. Um, I think it is. And that, that's what they're going for, too, is to oh, be able yeah. to transfer your consciousness into a robot uh, or into like a hard drive or something, you know, that's what their whole point is. That way you can continue yeah. to, to live. And that's what they're, I mean, if you can, okay. So in Kabbalah, they believe you can put a spirit into a rock or, or into like a clay figure, which is, you know, they believe by speaking the 72 names of God or whatever, perfectly into this uh, molded golem that they can do this. And, and, um, you know, I haven't seen any proof that anybody's done it uh, personally, but that is definitely uh, something that they believe that they can do. And uh, I would say that it's probably easier for a demon to manifest inside of a uh, a computer that's capable of expanding its thought than he is, uh, you know, just as much as he is a human. But then again, what do I know? So, yeah. And there are actual uh, demonic entities called the Stochion that are capable of actually attaching to physical objects and yeah absolutely but when you classify devils there's just been um in my thoughts that i believe devils need water um to survive the human body is made up of 70 percent water and um you know when jesus cast out the devils they went to the herd of pigs but i'm just saying that it seems like they need water too but like david says there's different well, they'll like, just put them a little on. water in the robot and they'll be good uh, yeah well you never know and we're talking about in, in infusing blood with the robot as well to have oh, yeah. it rolling through yeah. because we know yeah. the life's in the blood so they have to do that so whether it's the essence that they pull the entire bit of blood from yeah. somebody i mean they've even toyed with the idea of pulling like let's say you wanted to try, you wanted to you know be a test subject. They would pull all of your blood and put it through the machine to kind of try to give it life. And and I, there's yeah. no telling how far they'll go with trying to do this. But yeah, technology's yeah. going wild. I think yeah. literally there, they're literally there. I believe on that. We have one more question, um, and uh, it's from Lydia. She wants to know: Are you sure that racism is more in the U.S.? There was very clearly thought out Africa, et cetera in a different group. Can you so repeat that, please? I'm not sure if I, I've got it copied, but I'm not sure if I got the gist of it. Um, Throughout Africa, maybe, rather than thought yeah, out. Thought out of Africa, maybe left out of. Anyway, are you sure that racism is more in the United States? And uh, there was very clearly. I mean, there's racism, every, there's oh, racism yeah. everywhere. Oh, I mean, yeah. Africa, you have a, a severe, at least in certain parts, you have a severe racism of, of black people against white people. Uh, they're killing, you know, white farmers over there. There's a, you, you know, I know people that have gone ministered over there and they tell me like, Hey, look, you know, wear crappy clothes. Um, be careful. You know what I mean? There's this racism. I mean, there's racism no matter where you go. I mean, there's racism of blacks versus other kinds of blacks because this black isn't the same color black as us. So we're going to, we're going to kill them. The Muslims, you know, they don't like certain parts of Africans and they don't like, I mean, the racism's everywhere, but I mean, in Freemason, we have Asian Freemasons. We have these bloodlines are not just white people. I mean, you've got black bloodlines 
Uh, you've got Asian bloodlines, you know, starting back with Genghis Khan and all those, you know, you've got these. So, I mean, it's not in America, you know, definitely we have a racist element, right, David? I mean, because oh, we have the Knights, the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, all that I stuff. I was speaking only about the Masonic lodges, racism, just in the United States. But it is, uh, that's what she was wanting to know, is the racism in Masonic lodges all over the world, or is it just in the United States? Well, I know it definitely extends to England in British Freemasonry. Um, I, I can't really speak to that. Um, and I know Prince Hall's an American phenomenon. Um, I don't think Prince Hall is international. So I don't really know. I know that uh, Freemasonry is global um, in China, Arab countries, and all over. But uh, I don't really know how that breakdown goes racially and how much of a problem that is. I know certainly that problem is definitely there in England also in British Grand Lodge Freemasonry. Right. Cause you said earlier, you have these, you have these like the Rex Deus bloodline. I don't know how to pronounce it. I always say Rex Deus, Dex Deus, Deus, do Rex Dukes, whatever it's, whatever <laughs> they, they, they are like kind of on top right now. You know what I mean? You see these, cause you get the Merovingians, you've got the, um, you know, the Rothschild family, you got all these different families that come out of this uh, bloodline of one of these 10 bloodlines that are really trying to kind of uh, claim dominance. And I think maybe a part of that Knights of the Ku Klux Klan may be a part of the reason they they put a lot of uh, Africans into slavery where the reason they killed a lot of Indians off is because they're trying to show their dominance as part of these one bloodline. Uh, like we're the dominant bloodline. We're the ones of the Holy Grail because they believe that they actually came from Yeshua whereas the other bloodlines kind of went off their own way. So they kind of, they have this um, e elitism about them, but I mean, they're, they're no more elite than the Chinese dragon Kings. I mean, they're no more elite than, than uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, other countries uh, bloodlines. They're no more elite than that. It's just less what we hear about in the Western world, because America is basically an offshoot of their, their bloodline. I mean, where you know, we have we have all the bloodlines in America. I mean, you you name it. We've got Africans, we've got Asians, we have Southern South Americans, we've got uh French, we've got, you know, you name it, it's a melting pot here. So um America's definitely a, a unique place and got some different stuff going. I, I don't know. That's a, that's something to research though. You know, what mm -hmm. is it racism around the rest of the world or not? Because I mean it doesn't seem like it could be, uh considering that every Freemason you're gonna find in China is not going to be white. You're not going to find yeah. any Freemason, white Freemasons in China, most likely. So, yeah. Okay, we just have a few more questions here, but um, Allie has one here, and then I wanted to backtrack because I'm not sure we answered this one question way back. But okay, I'll leave it for the last here. Allie wants to know. Um, she says um, Meghan Markle is Prince Harry's 17th cousin because she's a direct descendant of England's King Edward the Third, who ruled from. 1327 until 1377. According to genealogist Gary Boyd Roberts, that technically makes her and Harry 17th cousins from Harper sources confirm this. Isn't this a red flag pointing straight back to this satanic bloodline too? Yes. Allie does great research, doesn't she? <laughs> her next question is about um, Da Vinci. Leonardo Da Vinci had close medicine ties but nothing says that he was related. Is it possible that he was? Because like Tesla was in the 20th century, Da Vinci just knew too much for the 15th century. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was definitely an initiate into the mystery schools. Um, what his bloodline was, I don't know, but I bet he's hooked in. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Okay. Way back when we had that question, when, um, somebody in the chat asked if, um, it was a good thing. And, and you did say it's that whether 33rd degree Masons worship good or bad God. Well, I just want to throw this in. I don't remember if you said this, but we have an encyclopedia Freemasonry here. And there's a, a couple of pages in there that shows all the different gods that Freemasonry accept. Oh, yeah. So to answer that question, all Freemasons, uh, all they have to do is believe in a deity. It could be any kind of deity. Uh, it does not have to be, and it usually isn't the God of the Holy Bible, but there are good men that are deceived and join Freemasonry that say they are Christians. But when they start going through their rituals, I still believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to them and they deny the Holy Spirit and become uh, affected with devils because they participate in those blood oath rituals. Yeah. Freemasonry is idolatry from the very first degree. And, and, you know, the Bible thing, the, the Christian idea, I mean, you're not going to find that in a Muslim country. They're not, you're not going to have a, they're going to have a Quran, you know, in the middle of the circle, the point within the circle they're going to have, you know what I mean? And most of these, you know, whatever the religion of that country is. So it's not just because in America, that might be the predominant uh, religion. I guess you could say that a lot of these Freemasons are in when they join. Um, that's only here in the West. I mean, we have, we have a, people forget about this, but there's the rest of the world out there that don't, oh, yeah. you know, that are completely different when it comes to this stuff. Well, John, you mentioned it when they, but when they get down and swear that oath on their knees in front of that black stone altar with, um, usually they have a Bible and another book. Sometimes they remove one and just put their book like the Quran on there, but they do have both on there sometimes. And, Boy, the Lord really hates that. It, it is true, and and I got a question for you, David. Since you're here, because I, I was reading uh, one of these books, and they have usually three different books that they use, right? And they say, but only one of them is the truth. Uh, which book are they talking about when they say only one of them is the truth? Who Freemason? Uh, Gar yeah, Gardner would say uh, that in in Solomon's. Like, I think it was the Secrets of Solomon is the book he wrote, right? He said that they use three different books, um, and they use like the Quran, they use the Bible, uh, or they'll use the Vedas. Yeah, the Vedas, maybe depending on if it's in India or not. But he said, but only one of those books is the truth, or is the thing that we must live by, and that's the quote or whatever that he had. And and I didn't know if you knew hmm. which one that they're talking about. It was when I read it, I was like, hmm, this is huh, a mystery I'm not here. Sure, and. In Freemasonry, the Bible is called a piece of furniture. And in Freemasonry, many of the lodges here in southern Indiana, they would have a Bible on the altar. But if a Muslim would want to be initiated into the lodge, the Bible would come off and the Quran would go on. And whatever, uh, up in Shads, Vedas, whatever book that you would consider holy, you could require to have placed upon uh, the Masonic altar during your initiation. And that's how the, the Freemasonry looks at the word of God. Uh, and the Bible is just a piece of furniture. Yeah. Cause I mean, when you, when you think about, 
the stuff they believe. Obviously, they can't believe the Bible 100. No. percent I mean, what they what they really what we're looking at here, and it's 10 after 12, and I don't want to keep us going because this subject we were you know what I'm getting ready to say here could go on <laughs> for a long you know conversation here, but uh, what we're looking at is um, basically a synchron synchronistic religion anyway. Like most Freemasons that are adept, they would believe that. Uh, the Bible tells the same stories of Vedas, um, and it tells the same stories of Quran. It's just looking at it from a different angle. It's yeah. all synchristic. It's all the same God. That's how they would see um, see this stuff. That's that's exactly what they would believe is going on here. And so um, when they see Horus and they see Osiris, to them, Osiris is Jesus. Jesus and Osiris are the one and the same. When they see mm -hmm. Muhammad... One in the same, you know, when they see Allah and, and Yahweh or whatever, they one in the, it's all one in the same. These gods, um, you know, Marduk, all these different, you know, it all go, kind of goes back to Zoroastrianism and, and the synchristic idea. Um, and so, you know, I it's so hard to really pin down all this, all this stuff because that's what they believe. I mean, you could, you, they believe the path is many ways, right? Yeah. In the many ways. Always leads to God. Jesus is just a man. Right. Um, they believe that old Evianite doctrine. And I just want to give everyone a big heads up for next Saturday night on the midnight ride. Timothy Alberino is returning to the midnight ride next Saturday night, and we're going to be slamming it. And I really am looking forward to that. Um, it's going to be a great ride. We got a, a lot of other really, uh, power pack shows lined up. So, uh, we're going to be slamming it here on the ride. So we just really thank all of our midnight ride listeners and, um, really appreciate John. And now you see TV so very much. It's just an awesome experience to always take that ride into the midnight hour. And we had some people express interest in your midnight ride hat. So, oh yeah. If you're interested in the Midnight Ride hat, please email us at lastdayschurch@cs.com, and I'll see what we can do about that. Also, uh, we've had other people say that we don't tell who we are often enough, David. So I will go ahead and give our website is www.fojcradio.com. We have a YouTube with the same name. FOJC radio and it's the one with the open door and thank you so much everyone for listening and supporting us and thank you John for all you do on now you see TV we really appreciate it appreciate all our listeners and everybody in the chat room we just love everybody and um, I think John ought to get some of these midnight ride hats made up and sell them through now you see TV that's what I think you ought to do. Of course, I'm good at telling people what they ought to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be, it'd be awesome, man. I, that's for sure. I, I, I mean, uh, it's just a cool beaner. I show. love, I love hats anyway. So that would be cool. Maybe one day, but you know, definitely thank you guys for saying what you said. Uh, also the, you know, for all you listeners that got a chance to watch the dark covenant secret of secrets documentary, we had it for free for an entire week, a yeah. little bit over a week and thousands of, I can't oh, believe how many yeah. thousands of people watched that thing in, in just a week. I mean, I've never, we don't have a video on YouTube that I don't think has that many plays. You know, that's how many people actually got to see this documentary. Wow. 
Uh, so we're, we're real thankful about that. I mean, there were some people in Evansville that contacted me that saw it that I didn't even send them a link to it. And they're like, yeah, we got emails too of people um, that watched it on the free offer. That's fantastic. So how many thousand do you think watched it? Any well, I mean, um, it's hard. To, I have to look at the analytics for the last few days because they usually wait a week to show me analytics on it. But I know it went from like a couple thousand of views to like hundreds of thousands of views in, in a few days. So, wow. So um, we're talking about hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. So, yeah. Well, that's fantastic. That's great. All right. And so anyways, be blessed, guys. Um, we are thankful. David, you want to end us out in prayer? Donna, somebody? God, David. Abba, we thank you for this chance to come together and share your word and share your truth. We don't take it lightly. We thank you so much for John and now you see TV. We thank you for our listeners. We couldn't do it without them. And we just really do thank you. And we just are grateful for the way you've blessed our humble efforts. And we just really do want to give you all the praise for everything good that comes forth. In the mighty name of Yeshua, we pray and agree. Amen and amen.